It's the Afternoon Cruise. I'm chatting with Adam Meckler. Adam's back in town and getting the orchestra back together for a show at Crooners in the Belvedere Room at 8 p.m. on Friday. Adam, welcome back to town. I know it's not that long since you lived here, but you've been doing Mm. a lot of amazing things in your career. What's been going on with Adam Meckler? Oh, man. I've been up in the UP. I took a job as the director of jazz studies at Michigan Tech University. So I'm entering my fifth year. I got tenure this last year, which has been wild. But I've been... Well, we got it. My dad was a professor. That's <laughs> yeah. a big deal, man. You can, you, you can tell the president whatever you think now, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Congratulations. You know, it's funny. Like, it's it means such a big thing to academics. And I just never pictured myself as an academic. It's like right. I always picture myself as an artist. And, and so, you know, accomplished that. Cool. But not really the thing that I've always kind of hung my hat on. You know? Right. Yeah, there's not a lot of tenure you're on the bandstand, right? If, if you're not good yeah, on a man, Thursday, you could be work, out of work on Friday. But you are still really dedicated to the Twin Cities and to the musicians that you cultivated here and made this scene happen. So you're getting an orchestra back together. We're mm. talking 18-piece orchestra? 18-piece, yeah. Man, I saw y'all play to the Am- at the Amsterdam to like four people, yeah. <laughs> and I saw you put your whole heart into it. And I don't mean just you, I mean that whole ensemble. Mm-hmm. When I see the cream of the crop in this town playing clearly for the love, obviously, hopefully, they're drawing some kind of check, but they're doing this because they believe in what you can do with them together. Mm. How does that feel to have the vote of confidence from 17 people of, yeah, man, we'll make our Friday clear to do this gig? Well, man, you know, self-doubt is always prevalent, but that does feel good. I mean, yeah. it's nice to feel like you're a leader and that people are following what you're doing and digging what you're doing enough to go and play. I mean, when we started, it was like every last Tuesday of the month at Jazz Central, we were like the first big band to play there. Now yeah. the bands have been doing that on Tuesdays for a long time, but they used to play for nothing. Five dollars, you know, yeah. it's like we would $10 cover. And after a while, Fire Marshal came down and was like, there's too many people down here. You got to move. So we moved to Artist Quarter. And then we were crushing Artist Quarter once a month. And right after that, Artist Quarter closed. That's when we started doing that Amsterdam gig. And gotcha. it was like, I was just like, what can we do? Can we play any club that's in St. Paul, you know? And Amsterdam is a rock club, so it was right. a little weird. But it was cool to kind of try to bring my brand of big band jazz, which isn't really jazz in the way that you might imagine uh, a big band in the traditional sense, right? Gotcha. It it's like, looks like a traditional big band, but sounds a little more modern. You know, it was fun to play there, but it was tough to draw there. Hey, you know what? As long as you're delivering the goods, it seems to me like you're holding up your end of the deal. I'm chatting Mm. with Adam Meckler, and he's getting ready to play at Crooners on Friday night, sort of a return show with the orchestra in the Belvedere Room. Now, you mentioned a little bit about your big band sounding different than maybe the traditional big band. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the saxophonist Remy LaBeouf? Is that somebody who's on your radar? Yeah, I haven't listened to a ton of that, but yeah. After we're done talking, we're going to listen to Upper Peninsula Palace, and I heard a little bit of a connection in the sense of like cinematic scope and stuff that isn't like hard swinging, like check right. out the trombone solely type of thing. Yeah. It was, there is a little more uh, spectrum of emotion and a little more um, uh, textures. Is that what you're saying is different from your big band, from other big bands, or is there more to it to understand about what makes this tradition different? I mean, that's definitely a part, like that, that tune embodies some of that, um, yeah. but it definitely draws on influences from from like Maria Schneider and John Hollenbeck and Darcy James argue these like modern big band composers that have these more orchestral landscapes in them. And, you know, Stephen Holbert's playing accordion on that as well. Yep. So that has that accordion sound. But my big band's also collaborated with like hip hop artists and soul singers. So like J.D. Steele was on the last, on the Magnificent Madness record. Toki Wright was on that record. Harjinder, who's another rapper, singer, multi-instrumentalist from Jamaica was on that. So doing collaborations with, like I grew up listening to hip hop music. I grew up in the 90s. Right. Hip hop music was like America's popular music. So that was everywhere. And as I started 
started to really fall in love with jazz music and compose jazz music, I just thought like, man, I got to start to combine all these things that I love into the, into one thing. And so that Magnificent Madness album was really like my first foray into collaborating with hip hop artists. And now in the future, you know, coming up here, there's a lot more of that happening on a new record we're working on. But yeah, it's like those are the things that make my big band a bit different than what you might imagine a big band sounds like. I only printed my questions in like font size 12, but it's like you can already guess where I'm heading with yeah. this stuff. Um, you seem like somebody who's committed to taking your compositions and making them live on longer than just what you and the orchestra or you and the ensemble do to them. Mm. You're the person who goes, this is the remix of the remix with an extra vocalist, and I brought on somebody from Jamaica, and it seems, again, similar to a 90s thing, you exist in collage. You exist in these things where you go, how can we bring people in? I even learned that you were kind of like the impetus for Nookie Jones getting started, like you ran up on camera and you were like, we're doing a soul band, I'm going to play trumpet louder than I ever have, and yeah. you sing your ass off. You know, like... <laughs> What makes you want to invent beyond the lead sheet? What makes you want to invent beyond the score and collaborate beyond that first genesis of music? Yeah, well, I consider myself, like I said, an artist, which means I don't consider myself a trumpet player. I don't consider myself a composer. It's like I consider myself something that's more encompassing from all the things around me. And really, in like history of jazz music, that's been what jazz has done. Jazz has taken the things around it and brought it in, right? And so I feel the same way about myself. But, you know, I don't consider myself just a trumpet player or just a composer. So when it came to Nookie Jones, it was like, man, I want to do something that's like a soul, neo-soul thing that yeah. that has a higher ceiling than what I'm doing maybe, that we can reach bigger audiences, which we did, right, yeah. for a long time before Cameron moved to L.A. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, it's like I'm constantly trying to think about how I can bring in other influences to the thing that I'm doing and create something new. And certainly, like, repurposing old material is a part of that. Like, right. I've been thinking a lot about, like, how can I maximize what I've already done? And so, you know, I'm thinking about reusing things and repurposing things, whether that's like a chord progression or a melody and then creating a new song with it, which I've done with my tune Toulouse and a song Sunshine is out where I'm like singing and playing all these different instruments. That's the same chord progression, completely different landscapes, completely different songs. You know, they say great composers steal it. They don't borrow, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm doing that for myself. I'm like taking old stuff I've written and using it again. It's efficient to some extent, right? Totally. Like, it means you can get, you know, oh, I'm taking this this turkey carcass and turning it into some soup and doing that whole thing. So yeah. I get the principle there as well. I'm chatting with Adam Meckler. He's playing at Crooners in the Belvedere at 8 p.m. Uh, on Friday, which is pretty exciting. This is tomorrow. Is the band like ready? Are you in good shape for the this? The band's ready. Okay. <laughs> we'll see, man. We're rehearsing tonight for a few hours, and uh, a lot of the people that are in the band have been in it a long time. You know, yeah. I started the band when I was a student at the University of Minnesota. The first gig we played was my master's recital. I did like a second master's recital where we played five compositions of mine. We got a standing ovation, and I was like, I don't have any more tunes. I've only written five tunes. So since then, you know, I've written maybe another 40 big band tunes, and a lot of the people that were with me on that day are still in the band, and that's cool. That, that gives you some kind of cohesion people have played the tunes before people know the vibe and a big part of my vibe is like charles mingus big band which is one of my favorite big bands is like put your personality into what yeah, i write yeah. right i want to hear your personality in the music i don't want you to just play what i wrote verbatim and kind of be a robot i want to hear personality in everybody's parts yeah. and so i think that's part of what gives my orchestra like a, um, a a greater personality right it's like when everybody and that's the mingus thing is like everybody's plugging their their energy and their heart into the music and then that turns into this fuller experience we got some loose ends to address. I feel like we covered the orchestra stuff, but yep. I want to ask you a little bit about a Steve Cole gig that's coming up. But also, you're doing a podcast right now that you're running. Yeah. On top of that, I saw you on a podcast that Jason McGlone and Reed ran alongside. Was Cameron in Cameron that? was in that too, yeah. Okay. You talked. I just watched it, and I listened to it. You talked in this authoritative way about, here's how I'm going to feed my family and take care of things <sighs> with my partner while being a musician. Yeah. And you have, from the outside, a really unbelievable work ethic. 
and it seems like part of your brand now is also talking to other musicians about their work ethic and trying to actually look under the hood and go, this is how I'm making rent this month. This is how things are happening. These are the wins. These are the losses. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about your path and about this podcast that you're doing now? Yeah, so the podcast is called How Musicians Make It. It was called Gig Boss for a while, which is an app that we've been developing as like an organizational tool for musicians. But now it's called How Musicians Make It. And big thing was just like, I want to learn more myself. I want to learn more about sync licensing. I want to learn more about maximizing each thing that I've done in the past and being able to make money on it. Is there passive income in music? If there is, man, like, I feel like that's incredibly necessary for making a living. You know, I, I started a family. My wife is a musician. My kids, well, I've got two kids now. And Don't so let my, them be musicians. No, yeah, right. Um, they're loving it, man. My, my five-year-old's playing trumpet all the time. Hobbs, he's crushing it. Uh, Augie's taking piano lessons. You know, they're, they're just like, they're both musical. They're around it. A lot of people are like, don't force music on your kids. And it's like, dude, they're in it. There's no forcing. That's There's just, no yeah, for yeah. Music's awesome. Like, yeah. they're drawn to it because music's awesome. But yeah, I'm really passionate about figuring out how to make it. Like, how do you do it? And I, you know, I was a full-time artist for 10 years here in Minneapolis before taking the job as the director of jazz studies at Michigan Tech. In a lot of ways, I felt like I was bailing. A lot of ways, I felt like, man, I'm giving up by taking this gig. You know what I mean? But I love teaching. I've always loved communicating what I love about music to students. And I've done that a lot here in town as like a guest artist, as a guest director. And so like taking over my own program, I've been able to go like, all right, what do I want to say to students for real? What do I want students to know? How do I want this program to develop? Do I want students to learn music by ear, for instance? Like, I teach a lot of music by ear, and that's a big part of what I do. So, yeah, man, like, I'm just like, how do musicians even do it? And I know from what I've done and from what I'm doing now, and so I communicate that to my audience on the podcast, but I also just have tons of artists on and just ask them, like, what are you doing? How are you making yep. it? What's going on? You know, Whistler Isaiah, the drummer from Hippocampus, is going to be on the episode this coming Monday, and he talks about how Hippocampus came out of, you know, their high school, St. Paul Conservatory for Pouring Artists, and just started touring right away, and, yep. and what that looked like, and how that developed, and what they're doing now, and I think it's a great look into, and you get to hear Whistler talk about, like, performance things. Anxiety. You yep. know, somebody who's playing for like massive audiences who've been doing it since he was a kid. He was in the circus when he was a kid performing. Yeah. You know? And so it's like a really cool story. And I think a lot of musicians can certainly glean like music business things from it, but also just like feel a sense of kinship, a sense of like this person's going through what I'm going through and they're at this higher level. And that's a really valuable thing as an artist to hear another artist go like, man, I'm dealing with like Corey Henry just tweeted like, man, I think I got to find a day job. This is ridiculous. I'm like, man, okay. Corey Henry's like one yeah. of the greatest, like if one of the greatest artists in the world is thinking about this as well like okay maybe i maybe i'm right. not so far off from what i'm the path that i'm supposed to be on right i'm i'm glad you're doing that on a podcast i'm probably even more glad that you're presumably doing some of that in the ivory towers of academia yeah because there's so many people who teach music and their kryptonite is like how do you book a gig how much do you get paid like how do you settle up at the end of the night where do you print a poster you know dude i didn't even know about ascap and bmi i got two degrees in music and nobody was like you can submit your set list when you play mid-sized venues and get paid another time That's for right. the gigs you're playing yeah. for the original music nobody taught me that i got 12 dollars in my pocket from that last hire spec show man <laughs> you know it's a, it's a good situation now let's talk you're uh, just playing trumpet with steve cole on august 18th over at the Ames center in burnsville yep steve cole nationally known i guess internationally known mm -hmm. smooth jazz artist and you played with him recently at the dakota what kind of music are y'all planning on bringing and what kind of experience are you bring to that show on the 18th 
man, it's funky, it's soulful. You know, it's like he he's from Chicago. He talks a lot about Curtis Mayfield being a huge influence. And so like the funk side is heavier, I think, in his music than a lot of smooth artists. I got to play with Dave Koz too with Corey Wong's band, which was really cool on that Golden Hour record. And just getting to see kind of like how, you know, they're similar artists in that they have, you know, been in the same space for a long time. But Steve Cole's a much different artist than Dave Koz. You know, Steve yeah. Cole's much more, I think, on like the funk, the heavier funk side. And I really enjoy playing that kind of music. He's got a great horn section with me and Scott Extra, my old buddy from Nookie jones and then uh, stephanie weasler's playing tenor sax on that as well so we got like a little the hot horn section you got brandon music. commodore on drums right yeah yeah brandon who just sampled a couple of my tunes for this new thing we're working on so yeah man it's you know playing with steve's great he's an amazing artist he's he's like incredibly uh you know self-deprecating <laughs> and then i'm like dude you crushing it what's going on you know and then he's on stage and crushing it and everybody's swooning I mean, he's really an amazing dude, and his music's really fun. I've been practicing it a bunch coming up, so we're rehearsing right after this. Oh, man. Well, you yeah. got a full day, and you got a full slot tomorrow because you're playing Crooners, 8 p.m., uh, Belvedere, and I really appreciate you swinging by Jazz 80 to chat. I've been chatting with Adam Meckler, and we're going to listen to this tune, Upper Peninsula Palace. Good luck to you at the show tomorrow, and thank you so much for still making the Twin Cities a part of your itinerary, even though you're based up in the UP now. Yeah, thanks, man. And just real quick, Jason Fabus is going to be playing at 6.30 before me. He was the original lead alto player in the Adam Eckler Orchestra. You can type in Jason 2 if you want to get money off of his tickets and go early and have some dinner in the Dunsmore room and then come out to the uh, Belvedere stage at 8. Love it. All right, my man, you have a good day. Thank you.